Good morning, church. As uh, Pastor Jordan mentioned, my name is Jake Rouse. I'm an elder here. Uh, family and I have been attending since uh, pretty much the very beginning, since 2013. I uh, think we missed a few of the first Sundays, but I've been here ever since. And uh, I only say that to say that Crosswinds has been a huge part of my Christian journey. And I am so excited to be up here uh, preaching this morning. Uh, now, I have to warn you, I don't have any formal theology training. I don't have any formal public speaking training, so you guys are in for a treat this morning. Uh, but this morning, we'll be in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Yes, first time preaching, we're diving into Revelation. So, my wife says, intelligence is not one of my strong suits. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is the beginning of Revelation. It's the straightforward part of Revelation uh, before it gets to the apocalypse apocalyptic literature part of Revelation. I'll leave that to Jordan uh, to go over sometime. Uh, but as I mentioned, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, if you want to open up your Bible, if you have one, or follow along on the screen while I read it. To the church in Laodicea, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As I referenced earlier, I am not a seasoned preacher, so we're going to make this really simple. Uh, for me to preach and for you to follow, I'm going to tell you now what we are going to be going over, and I'm also going to tell you what I hope you learn out of the text. And so we will be breaking down the letter to Laodicea in three parts. That's Christ and who he is, the confrontation between Jesus and his church in Laodicea, and then the call of action to us. Because of Jesus' faithfulness, Christ never abandons us, and there always remains a path back to him. So the three things are Christ, confrontation, and a call to action. And as we go through this text, I hope this morning that at the end we will learn that Jesus is the truth, he is faithful, and he is conqueror of this earth. But before we dive into this text, uh, would you please join me in prayer this morning? Lord, I humbly come to you this morning and, and ask that your words are spoken and not mine and that they are the, the words that you want the congregation to hear. 
And Lord, I ask that you open our hearts and allow ourselves to wrestle with your words and not just to act like they're meant for someone else, but that we take your words to heart. We ask this in your name. Amen. So before we really dive into the letter, I think it's uh, important to kind of set the background for the book of Revelation and also the city of Laodicea itself. Uh, so the book of Revelation was written around 95 AD uh, by the Apostle John, and uh, at this time uh, he was most likely in his 90s, uh, so he is an, an old man by this time, and because of his religious beliefs, he was actually exiled to the island of Patmos. And so uh, the island of Patmos was part of the, the Roman Empire, and they sent people, instead of going to jail, uh, you got sent to a, an island, and there's a large quarry on this island. You were sentenced to, to hard labor. Uh, although at 90, John probably would have enjoyed uh, a life in jail, uh, much more so than working in a quarry. Uh, but it was here on this island that John had the revelation uh, from an angel of God. And uh, the book of Revelation uh, often gets a bad rap. It's, it can be confusing. It can be scary. It can be hard to teach. It can be hard to understand. Uh, but the word revelation actually means to uncover or unveil. And the book of Revelation uncovers the triumphant glory of Jesus Christ. And it unveils the truth about him and his final victory. Believe it or not, the book of Revelation is, also, is actually a book of encouragement. And that encouragement is fear not tomorrow, for tomorrow is already won. The first three chapters in Revelation uh, contain letters from Jesus written through John to seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, at this point, the young church, uh, it, it was not in a great spot. Uh, it was under persecution from the Roman Empire. It was under persecution from the Jewish nation. And uh, by the time this book was written, uh, a lot of the early church leaders had already died for their faith. Uh, Paul, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, countless others uh, had already been martyrs by this time. And so uh, as you read these seven letters, you see that they had real problems. And uh, it just, this happened only a, a few decades after that they were planted and only really 50 short years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it kind of makes you wonder if the churches then were in need of reform, how much more is the church in need of reform 2,000 years later? Uh, but as you heard, uh, we are in the letter of Laodicea, so that's kind of the background of Revelation. And so now the city of Laodicea itself. Uh, Laodicea was a very wealthy city, uh, extremely wealthy. So wealthy, in 60 AD, it was partially ruined by an earthquake. And they, even though they were part of the Roman Empire, they actually refused money from uh, the Roman government to rebuild, and they just did it out of pocket and rebuilt the city themselves. So it was a city built on wealth. And it was known for its banking industries and its wool industries, and it was also known for making this eye salve that was then exported throughout the world. And we saw this in the letter, right? So Jesus wasn't just picking random things to talk about. Uh, these were things that the city was known for, that they were becoming rich for, and the city of Laodicea also had another problem. Uh, it did not have a good source of drinking water. And so they had to pipe in water from neighboring towns. And again, Jesus is aware of this as he referenced it in the letter. 
and uh, we will look closer at that here in a little bit. Uh, but that, that kind of gives us a background, Revelation, Laodicea. So now we're going to dive into the letter. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll break it into three parts. The first part being Christ, and specifically who Christ is. Fortunately, we don't have to guess. He tells us right here in the letter. The letter starts by Jesus telling the church who he is. And I just want to stop for a second and just say how, how lucky we are to have the Bible, right? I was reminded of this as I was preparing everything. And I uh, was working on the sermon. I was finding, you know, sermons online to listen to, reading through commentaries. And I, I was really struggling because everybody tries to put their own little spin on it. And uh, I was really needing some guidance. And this was while Jordan was in Liberia. And so shortly after he got back, him and I sat down in his office. And he didn't have some special formula. He didn't send me to some sermon to go listen to. We just sat down and went verse by verse over this passage. And it just hit me there that I was looking in all the wrong places. And, And granted, sermons and commentaries can be great tools but sometimes we forget that the greatest tool is this book. And so I, I wanted to say all that to bring home the fact that we don't have to guess who Jesus is. He tells us right here, the very first verse in this letter, Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The works of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus introduces himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. So let's look at these a little bit more closely. Jesus calls himself the amen. So what, what does that mean? It's, it's got to be more than just a, a salutation at the end of a prayer, right? And so in both the Old and New Testament, the word amen and the word truth are translated from the same word. And so I'm, I'm not an expert in the Hebrew language. I'm not an expert in the Greek language. So I can't stand up here with a straight face and tell you why that is. And so I'm going to stop right there. But what I can say is the next thing that Jesus says also helps support this idea. And so the next thing that he uses to describe himself is a faithful and true witness. And so I think it's important to remember Jesus' time here on earth. You know, Jesus had already lived a life on earth for the glory of God. Even in his suffering, he remained faithful. He is a witness to a life obedient to God because he has been here living it out. Jesus is saying, hey, listen to me. If there is ever anybody that could tell you how to faithfully live for Jesus, it is me, Jesus Christ. Now the third part, beginning of God's creation. Uh, This one's a little bit trickier to understand what Jesus is saying. What we know he is not saying is we know he's not saying that Jesus is a created being, right? There's multiple scriptures that say Jesus is God and God is the creator, not the created. And so I think we need to look a little bit earlier in the book of Revelation. It gives us kind of some insight. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. The firstborn of the dead. 
I think is another way of saying beginning of God's creation. This is not referring to the beginning of time. This is referring to God's new creation, the new creation in which Jesus is the firstborn, the heir to God's kingdom, and as the one in which God's promises are fulfilled. Jesus has the resources to grant them. That is the church of Laodicea, who he is writing to. He has the resources to grant them what they need. So we are dead in our earthly flesh, and it is Jesus, the beginning and the firstborn of the new creation that saves us. And I think 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or yeah, chapter 5, verse 17 does a, a good job of reminding us of this. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that is who Christ is, and now we'll move on to the confrontation part. Uh, so Jesus calls out the church of Laodicea for their works and for their heart posture. Uh, after he introduces himself, he dives right into what the issue is. So Revelation 3.15, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. So Jesus begins with, I know your works, right? So we, he just got done telling them that I am the truth. And so there, there is no argument here. There's no hiding from this. Jesus knows what the works are of the church because Jesus is always truthful, and so he is always correct. So Revelation 3.16, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So this is one of the most blatant rebukes in the whole Bible. In some translations, it actually means to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is so disgusted with his church that he vomits. It's like taking a glass of milk, picking it up and drinking it, realizing that it has gone sour and spitting it across the room. This isn't some nonchalant, I don't like how this tastes, so I'm going to hide and spit it into my napkin so that no one notices. This is a violent spit up across the room. So if anyone who has infants knows what I'm talking about, there's different degrees of spit up. There's just the, the dribble, and then there's the projectile that has some distance to it. So this, is, this has got some oomph behind it. This is Jesus vomiting his church. So remember when we talked about Laodicea earlier, we learned that their water came from a long ways away. They didn't have any drinking water of their own. And so it was lukewarm by the time it arrived. And of the two neighboring towns to Laodicea where the water came from, one was known for its hot springs and the other was known for its cool water that came off of the mountain. But both of them, by the time they got there, were lukewarm. Visitors who did not know this, oftentimes when they first took a sip of the water, would spit it up because it was not hot, it was not cold, it was lukewarm. These two verses are actually some of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Uh, it does not mean uh, that it is better to be against Jesus or against Christians rather than being indifferent. And I was in that camp before I really sat down and studied this. This verse means that since you are neither hot nor refreshingly cold, I will spit you out of your mouth, out of my mouth. It's like sitting at a restaurant and the waitress keeps coming by to top off your coffee with more hot coffee because she doesn't want it to get into lukewarm temperature. 
or you have a, a glass of ice water and the waitress, once the ice melts, will take it and give you a new glass of ice water. She's trying to keep it cold and not at lukewarm temperature. Both hot and cold are good. Lukewarm is not. So what does an intensely hot or refreshingly cool Christian look like? So being intensely hot and on fire for the Lord means we are active, not passive. We seek out opportunities to share the word with others. We pray fervently. We study the Bible. Refreshingly cool Christians, we provide respite to those who are weary. We love unconditionally as an example for the world to follow and we encourage each other when we lose our way. And if you're like me, you look at this passage this morning, and you begin to wonder, am I lukewarm? Is the church lukewarm? Is Jesus going to spit me out of his mouth? Let's look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The Laodiceans were wealthy, and they lived great, lavish lives. I'm sure that they thought they were winning at the game of life. Things were good there. They felt great about themselves, but they were confusing economic riches with spiritual riches. But Jesus sees past all that. He sees past of what, how we view each other, and he sees right into our heart. And he sees our actions. And Jesus doesn't care what our salary is, how big our house is. He cares about our heart, and he cares about our actions. And he cares that we trust him to save us, and not the riches of the world. And here we see him harshly describe the church as wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the church in Laodicea and you're getting a letter from Jesus and the excitement that that must have been? They probably all gathered as a church body to open it up and they start reading it and they find out that Jesus is calling them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, talk about feeling ashamed. I mean, the whole point of the church is to praise Jesus and to follow what he has called us to do. And he says this to them. Church, I pray that that makes us uncomfortable as a church this morning. It should. This is a stern warning that if we lose our way and just go through the motions of following Jesus, but in our heart and in our mind, we're following material wealth, power, and fame, Jesus will spit us out because we are wretched in his eyes. But if we are wretched, and we, we all are, because we're all made of the flesh, there is still a way back to Jesus. Jesus never abandons his church or his people. So let's look at what Jesus calls us to do. The call to action. Revelation three nineteen. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Church, Jesus loves us more than we can ever imagine. If you are a parent, take the love that you have for your kid and, and multiply it by 
any number you want to and know that Jesus loves you more. He disciplines the church of Laodicea because he loves it so much. For me, I go from being sorry for this church to being somewhat jealous. Here he is telling the church that he loves them, and because I love you, here is exactly what you need to do to correct your ways. There is no wondering, there's no questions involved. This is what you did wrong. This is how you fix it. And church, he's talking to us this morning as well. So the first thing, or the first two things he tells his church is to be zealous and repent. So to be zealous, one cannot be passive. Uh, following Jesus requires a person to be active, not active in a sense of exercise, but active in regards to being on guard against false te teachings, on guard against habits of the flesh, active in regards of, of being prepared to share the Bible with others, active in regards to prayer, active in regards to repentance. And that brings us to the next point that Jesus said, which is to repent. Repenting is also active. Repenting isn't just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is actively seeking out parts in our lives where we, where we have strayed from Jesus. It is to stop doing an about face and to run back to Jesus. So to be zealous and repent, these aren't just some filler words that Jesus is using here. It is a call to wake up, change your way, and run back to Jesus. The third thing that we are called to do is to allow Jesus into our life. Let's look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. If you remember back to the discussion on Laodicea, there were three main industries that the city was known for. Banking, wool, and then making this eye salve. And Jesus is telling them, don't rely on these things that have made you rich. He is telling them to come to me for the things you're looking for. If you are looking for riches, come to me for true everlasting wealth. If you are looking for material wealth and fancy clothes, come to me and clothe yourself in my righteousness. If you're looking to see things of this earth more clearly, come to me so that you may truly open your eyes and see. So the great part about coming to Jesus is that he isn't hard to find. Let's look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. So where is Jesus at? He is right at the door knocking. The church has shut Jesus out, but Jesus never left. He is standing at the door knocking, and his letter was his voice to the church saying, let me back in. What a sad picture of Jesus and his church. They have kicked him out. But because of Jesus' faithfulness to us, he is right there knocking, telling us to let him back in. We can run from Jesus, but Jesus never runs from us. 
So if we are zealous, we repent, and we let Jesus into our lives, our reward is in verse 21 here that we'll look at. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So to the one who conquers, that is the one who is active in their pursuit of Jesus, the one who repents and allows Jesus into their life, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. If we conquer those things, then we get to share the throne with Jesus for, for eternity. He also tells us that, hey, you should listen to me as I have already conquered and have taken my place on the throne with my father as the rightful heir of the firstborn of the new creation. Remember, Jesus has walked this walk on earth. He has conquered the flesh and he has remained faithful. And when Jesus says that we will sit with him on his throne, that isn't just getting to hang out in heaven. Kings don't just let anybody sit on their throne for no reason. We will truly share the privilege and the authority of Jesus' reign in heaven. So church, I'm going to end this where we started it and bring it back to Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He is faithful, and he is conqueror of this earth. And if we believe in that and keep Jesus front and center in our church and in our lives, we are rewarded by reigning with him on his throne for eternity. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Uh, while this letter wasn't written to us here at Crosswinds in Spencer, there's just so much to be reminded of and encouraged by in it. And I ask that we, as, as individuals and as a church, take heed to what this letter says. I ask that you make us Christians that are intensely hot and refreshingly cool. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to us. And while, yes, that is what Christmas is about, I ask that we, we treat every day like a celebration of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we all keep Jesus as our Lord and Savior and not to worship the riches of this world.